Podcast One production. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Yes, this is The Health Hacker and Adam McDougall is a health and fitness economist. And in each episode, he hacks into topics to make health and fitness simple and easy for you. I'm Alex, Adam's producer, and I act as voice for the people by asking questions to help us apply Adam's hacks to our lives. And on this two-part episode, we're going to be hacking the top health trends of 2019. Adam, elimination diets at the moment is a huge trending topic for 2019. Yes, good day, Alex. It certainly is, and it's funny, isn't it, that uh, every single year some type of elimination diet trends, and last year it was the ketogenic diet, which essentially, if people don't know what that is, it's a high-fat diet. Um, it's got a moderate amount of protein and basically zero carbohydrates. It was designed originally to treat epilepsy, of all things, uh, mm. back in the early 1900s, and it was very successful. The reason it was successful was because they found that carbohydrates weren't the most efficient fuel for the brain, particularly with people with uh, epilepsy, whereas fat didn't cause the uh, triggers to cause epilepsy. So what essentially happens when you're on a ketogenic diet is rather than using carbohydrates, which are normally converted into glucose into your own body and transported around and are very important for the brain, what happens instead is that the body is forced to use fat and the liver converts this fat into fatty acids and ketone bodies. And they bypass essentially uh, into the brain and replace glucose as the main energy source. So if you've seen someone on a ketogenic diet, they've probably got bad breath. They're probably a little bit cranky uh, to start with. (laughs) And, you know, we will do an episode on the ketogenic diet, but I must say, buyer beware, it is one of the toughest and most antisocial things you can do. I'm an advocate of low carbohydrate diets, but most people out there think they're doing a ketogenic diet, but they're really just bullshitting themselves, Alex. It's very tough to, you know, stay on a zero carbohydrate diet, but out with the old and in with the new. And this year, ketogenic diet has helped the most talked about trend uh, in elimination diets this year, and that is the eco-keto diet. It's got a lot of similar beliefs to the ketogenic diet in itself that, you know, it's driven by fat. So once again, you're eating things like lots of nuts, avocados, um, a lot of oils, um, whether that's poured into your coffee in the morning with some butter or whether it's drowning, you know, your salads in olive oil. Are those bullet um, coffees everyone talks oils. about? Is that what they are? Oh, good marketing and, and, you know, whatnot. He's a smart guy, uh, David Asprey, who mm. started that company. And that's a really, really interesting dilemma we face these days is that, you know, we talk about trying to eat like our ancestors did, and that's how I believe we should eat. But you would never have seen our ancestors walking around with a stick of butter in their pocket and uh, <laughs> gallons of, of coconut oil and tipping yeah. it into coffee in the morning. So well, I advocate people when they do go on a ketogenic diet, they always try to eat as much real food as they can and get their fats from real foods, whether it's meats or whether it's nuts or, you know, olive oil is an exception because it's so high in omega freeze. whereas, you know, the jury's still out on how much coconut oil we should be having because it's very high in saturated fat. Now, we now know that saturated fats aren't as bad as what they were once painted to be. However, we still need to be moderate in our approach to how much of these saturated fats we're having because, like I said, most people are going over the top, which isn't um, unusual for people to do. And uh, what the eco-friendly keto diet essentially is, still got that high level of fat, but they're not eating meat. They're actually substituting in plant-based meats instead. And this Mm. market's absolutely booming. When you have a look at it last year, it grew nearly 25%. And these companies that are bringing these sort of products out, like Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods, which you'll find in most supermarkets now, are really designing these products, which taste exactly like meat, but they're made up of plant-based materials. So whilst these things are plant-based, and a lot of people will naturally think straight away that that's really good for you, we now know from experience whether it was gluten-free 
trend that, that occurred, you know, a couple of years back and still trending very heavily now that when you pick up a lot of these gluten-free products, you know, they've got hundreds of different ingredients in them. Most of them are man-made chemicals and they're actually much worse for you and uh, detrimental to your health eating these things that, you know, you think are gluten-free and you think are good for you. Mm. So that's the, the dilemma that people need to make sure that when they pick up these products, they're really looking at the ingredients list and making sure that it's not too long. But something like the Beyond Burger, for example, has a lot of good products in it, like pea protein, coconut oils, some potato starch, which you know is a form of resistant starch, which can actually help with insulin levels and gut health. But what you need to look out for in a lot of these sort of vegan type things are the things like canola oil, which we now know become rancid very easily in these sort of products and actually damage all our cells because all our cells are made up of fat. So you don't want rancid fat inside your body dictating your health. So there's a lot of additives and preservatives in these different types of products as well. But um, it's quite amazing, isn't it, Alex, that you can actually make something that isn't meat taste like meat and have the environmental and health benefits as well. I've listened to some documentaries and various podcasts about Beyond Meat and other type of products. And it starts off like in a Petri dish and they grow it out and they even figure out how to put like blood into the meat so it feels like an actual burger. And there are some burger chains like in America also have a fake meat option, which is really fascinating. I do though have questions about the preservatives that go into it. But if we think about what the offset is to the planet with the amount of methane produced by cows, it's a very interesting fulcrum to try and manage. And I think when we get to our vegan episode this year, it's going to be a really interesting one to look at because, you know, what are the health benefits versus the planet offset? Maybe I'll put up with a few preservatives so I don't destroy the planet. Who knows? Exactly. And when you look at another emerging market, which is even more exciting, I suppose, in a lot of ways, is the actual seafood and marine you know, food oh, sector. Of course. Which, you know, think about scallops and crab cakes uh, simply made from pea and potato starch because there's 300 marine animals that are fished around the world for human consumption. Yeah. And there's only 30 land animals. So if you have a look at the environmental cost of our eating habits, the more that we move towards a a seafood-based diet, which is the one that I predominantly advocate and do myself. Mm. Um, Look at the strain we're putting onto our environment. You know, we've nearly fished out all our oceans. So um, there's a huge opportunity here to be more disruptive for a lot of companies, given that the marine category is like 10 times bigger than the meat category. So it's absolutely astounding what's going to happen with food in the next couple of years. Genetically modified food is a concern for a lot of these types of products. Um, So we just don't know yet what sort of role that's going to play in some of these foods that are coming onto the market. But it's very, very interesting now that you can actually find a lot of things to substitute out for real meat. So we're talking about 3D printing machines, actually making food in the future. I'll tell you what, Alex, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Although on the contrary, Adam, there's another diet called the carnivore diet, which is kind of like the right wing (laughs) opposite to this, which people are also trending in 2019. Can you tell us about this? Oh, how funny is this? And you talk about total opposites, don't you? It's just hilarious when you think about it. So More animals, more carnivores, more animals. More so one, one camp's going the other way. Yeah. They're going towards the plants. Yeah. And they're saying, eat no meat, so let's eliminate all meat. Yeah. And, let's just, and these uh, people go, that's cool, I'll take the cow. Yeah, you know, and I'll take the whole cow. You don't want it, I'm going to eat it. So the carnivore diet's pretty self-explanatory. It's basically you devoid your diet of all plant matter and fibre and micronutrients from these things, and you essentially just eat meat. So you eat steak, you know, for breakfast, lunch, and tea. So there's one exception to the rule, which is very ironic and very funny because I know how much people like this type of plant. Mm. And that is you're allowed to drink tea and consume coffee, which is a plant. So so they knew that how to pick their mark. They knew if they said to people, you can't drink coffee over tea, this diet would never get off the ground. But it's absolutely interesting, isn't it? That people are getting so much success on this diet as well. And that's the great thing about health hacking. You need to find out what works for you. And I don't think it's the fact that the 
people are getting the benefit from eating the meat as such. I think it's the fact that people eat so many inflammatory foods, they eat so many foods which are disruptive to their gut health and their health in general, that they eliminate you know, basically everything, and they just focus on one macronutrient, which is protein in this category of meat. And of course, they're going to get health benefits because they're removing basically everything. So some of the results from this diet are absolutely overwhelming. There's some weird side effects that you hear some people getting rashes and mm. some people getting, you know, different types of um, hives and breakouts and whatnot. But, you know, for the most part, people are losing a lot of weight. Their gut health is improving. And I think this is where, you know, the real benefit lies because we do know a lot of people have problems with digesting some vegetable matter and gut health on the flip side is driven a lot by fiber and, and getting good bacteria. So that's my concern with this diet is you're eliminating all matter of vegetable and fiber, which, you know, we know builds up the good gut bacteria, provides fertilizer for the microbiome to feed off and regenerate and, and obviously flourish. So there are some concerns for this diet as far as I'm concerned. I wouldn't do it. And long-term wise, I'd like to see the jury on this as well. Adam, so let me unpack that just before we go to a break is the fact that a very strong meat diet could affect your gut health, whereas more plant-based diet and prebiotics and probiotics, which we spoke about before, would be more beneficial. So sure, you might lose some weight, but you are concerned that obviously sometimes it might not be great on your gut health. But ironically, bone broth is very good at like, you know, cr- increasing gelatin within the body and, and, and reducing inflammation. So is it about sort of managing that balance between both of them? Yeah, it's like hearing, it's not being term extremes. And there are people that, you know, have gut health issues um, as a result of not being able to break down and digest plant matter. So we as health hackers always say, try what works for you. And this Mm. diet's obviously working for a lot of people. My only concern with this type of diet is maintaining it for a long period of time. It's like any type of diet, the ketogenic diet or, you know, a high protein diet or, or, you know, a high carbohydrate diet, whatever it may be. It's the long-term non-variability of these diets that eliminate food groups and then don't provide us with the micronutrients in particular that our bodies need over a long period of time. This is The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. We're going to talk smart jewellery and brain health in a tick. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. On this episode, we're breaking down the top trends for 2019. Adam, this is the most modern thing I've ever heard of. And as a guy who loves tech, I'm excited. (laughs) This is smart jewellery. Yeah, well, it started a little bit clunky and not as pretty as it is today, but, uh, you know, the old Fitbit and the, I remember having the pedometer I used to put on my pants when I first started trying to track oh, how many steps yes. I took. <laughs> clink, 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 clink when oh, you move. Yeah, 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 hilarious, you know, and now when was you have when a when you were playing footy back jewelry. in the day, you had your own yeah, one? was when I was playing footy, yeah, I had my own one and, you know, I remember um, they'd give us one to see how much activity on recovery days and I actually put one on my dog once and let him run around the backyard and I come to training <laughs> and the trainer said, there's no way you took that many steps. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, good way to get your steps up. But um, smart jewelry now is booming. And, and, you know, when you have a look at how pretty some of these devices are and how stylish they are, it's absolutely incredible. But more impressive is the actual tech involved in these things. It's absolutely mm. incredible what these devices can now do. And self-quantification, self-measurement, biohacking, health hacking, like we all are trying to do, you know, find out what works for you. You know, if it doesn't get measured, it doesn't get done, as we always say. So yeah. you have to be able to track a lot of these things. So everything from your steps to your work workouts to your sleep. Um, you know, it's absolutely incredible the things that these things can, you know, measure skin temperature, heart variability, um, you know, readiness for workouts, stress levels. It's absolutely incredible. So I'm really excited about this space in particular because, you know, 
the more measurements we get about these types of things, the more aware we are of our behaviours and what works and doesn't work for us. And like we always say, Alex, everyone is so different. You know, how I respond to a certain stressor, exercise or diet or sleep or whatever may affect me totally different to you. So the only way we can ensure something's working is through self-quantification, self-feedback. And the great thing about these devices is they're getting more and more accurate. Now, when you have a look at exercise equipment, on average, most exercise equipment is out by about 20%. Uh, most of the fitness trackers- What do you mean? Uh, a couple of years back. Well, I overestimate how many calories you're burning, how many steps oh, you're taking. So. I remember I used to run on the treadmill a lot and it would say, you've burnt this many calories. And I was thinking, geez, <laughs> I've done well. Exactly. And the reason they did that is positive reinforcement, small wins, and you'd want to keep going and feel good about yourself. Yeah. So same as a lot of these um, devices, they, was, they were basically rigged onto the side of being positive rather negative. Um, but the problem with that is a lot of people were using simple formulations for weight loss, calories in versus calories out, measuring how many steps they took during a day, how many calories they burn on a treadmill, and then obviously offsetting that with calories in the mouth. And you know, lo and behold, they were uh, unfortunately getting ripped off. So and with food companies, as we know, mislabeling a lot of foods and underestimating how many calories are in most packaged products in particular, like in America, for example, you can have a, a default rate of over 20% in your nutritional information panel. In Australia, I think it's very similar. <sighs> Everyone's uh, lying to us, that. Adam. Everyone's... Everyone's lying to us. So here we are with the food component. They're telling us there's less in there than there actually is. And here they are with the exercise component when you go to the gym, telling us we're burning more calories than we actually are. So mm. they overestimate the calories and, and the amount of exercise that you're actually doing. But now these devices are becoming a lot more accurate. There's still some conjecture around the effectiveness of a lot of the sleep apps that are out there, whether or not they're really measuring deep sleep properly and REM sleep, REM sleep as they say, effectively. And that's my concern with these devices, Alex. I hate to be a party pooper, but analysis does cause paralysis. So there is a negative side to these devices as well in the sense that all of a sudden you start to become stressed. And we know from research that people that go on particular diets and become obsessed uh, with the diet actually lose less weight and sometimes put weight on as a result of being obsessed. Um, Because stress, as we know, releases a hormone called cortisol, which helps with a lot of things, but in the wrong doses, it actually helps with fat storage and it doesn't help with partitioning calories into the right parts of our bodies, muscle rather than fat. So it doesn't help our waistlines, cortisol and and stress. And that's what some of these devices are going to do for a lot of type A personalities. I know myself, I'm waking up some mornings when I did use the device during different periods of time, I would get really depressed and stressed when I'd see how little sleep I had because I'd wake up with a two-year-old in the middle of the night or my six-month-old baby and I'd just go, oh, no wonder I feel like crap. So Mm. as they say, watch you think and what you tell yourself is what you get. And when you get some of this feedback and you see how bad you're actually sleeping, you convince yourself that you aren't healthy. So you have to be really careful. Which is why I quite like the fact it's become less of a fitness tracker and now smart jewelry because it almost vaporizes the stigma of it being like, oh, I've got to check what I'm doing and just more of an accountability addition to your everyday life. You know, your watch is a smart watch if you have one and you can just also go, well, that's what time it is. There's a message also. How many steps have I done today? as opposed to a piece of kit on your wrist that goes this is only about steps and it seems more of a more of a kind of like an authority rather than a help so i think smart jewelry is heading in the right direction to hopefully eliminate those cortisol effects I think the exciting thing is, as an athlete, we used to wear heart rate monitors and clip on all this bulky stuff. And yeah. now it's amazing that you can just put a ring on your finger, oh, which is subtle. the aura ring, which, yeah, the aura ring's an amazing thing. And Prince Harry's a huge fan of it, talking of, you know, giving it the is raw he? treatment. And he loves it. And it's just a ring, essentially, you put on, you get the app, and it basically tracks 51 measurements, including body temperature, your breathing rate, which is incredible in itself. It actually tells you how effectively you're breathing, sleep scores, um, your readiness index for the next day when you wake up to see if you're ready to rip into the day 
day or do a hard workout. So this is an amazing piece of technology. Um, and, you know, if it's good enough for Prince Harry, well, it's probably good enough for most people. One of the biggest ones that I'm excited for us to talk about, and it's something that I didn't really think about until you mentioned we were going to do it on the show, was the fact that brain health, like health, I always think about like mental health, you know, we've done some fantastic episodes on that, and that's about your conscious mind. But whereas brain health, which you're going to dive into now, is about the health of the organ. And it seems so simple now you say it, but I've never, ever, ever thought about the fact that, yes, my brain is a part of me that needs to be kept healthy, just like my arm muscles, like my quads, like my heart. It's fascinating. This is a huge trend, which is a great trend for 2019. It certainly is now. We've moved away from that aesthetic uh, ego-driven, you know, appeal of focusing on just our muscles and how good we look in the mirror to actually what's happening inside us. You know, a little while ago, it was all about the microbiome and our gut health. And now it's about brain health. And, you know, it, it's such an important thing. And being an ex-athlete, it's really dear to my heart because you look at most mm. people that have played collision sports during their lifetime, they will end up getting some form of dementia or Alzheimer's disease before they die. So oh, that movie um, concussion as well from the NFL, it was, it was real eye-opener. It's very scary. Oh, it's scary, and I know what fate you know really awaits me down the track if I don't do something about it. But the exciting thing is we can do something about it, and you know, um, you know, people are encouraged now when they hit forty-five to go get a cognition scan done and a test done that will tell you a number of things, but tell you your likelihood of you know your chances of getting you know some of these diseases like dementia and Alzheimer's disease. Um, and the other exciting thing too is is that you can get gene testing, which we spoke about trended last year, to see if you have a particular gene called the ApoE4 gene. I hope I've got that right. And essentially that increases your chances of having dementia and Alzheimer's disease and these brain health problems down the track by nearly up to, you know, 30% more. So, But you're but you saying can that Alzheimer's things. is the fastest growing epidemic in the Western world. By 2050, it's going to be 10 times bigger than it really is. It's going to be 10 times bigger. It's going to put the biggest pressure on our healthcare system. And if you have a look at the American economy, and it's a big claim, but if the American health system continues the way it is and the population continue to really, I suppose, be faced with a lot of the health crises and problems they're facing today, their economy won't be able to sustain it. They'll, they'll go broke. You, when you have a look at type 2 diabetes, the rate that's mm. growing in America and the cost that's having on their health system. Now you have a look at this brain health epidemic, which is spreading. It's absolutely scary. And, you know, it's interesting that insulin resistance, which they call diabetes, um, is a major contributor to brain damage cascade. You know, so it's it not causes just the, you know, contact damage. sports. It is what you are eating could give you Alzheimer's one day. Or let's not go that extreme. It's just not great for your brain health is what comes back to your diet once again. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Now, you have a look at the, the thing of epigenetics. Everyone has genetics which are switched on and off as a result of their environment. We now know that yeah. your genetics don't determine, you know, your fate as such. It's your choices in life which turn on these genes. So, poor sleep, an unhealthy diet. Um, technology is very scary what it's doing to our brains because it's disrupting our sleep, as you know. And when you get poor sleep, you make over 250 food decisions a day. Mm. And it's been proven that when you're tired, you make poor food decisions more often than not. Then there's the issue of pollution, whether it's mold. Um, whether it's toxins in our food, utensils from plastics and in our environment in general, the pollutions that we're being exposed to now are having a huge threat to our brain every single day. And I could just go on and on about some of the things that are affecting our, our mental health um, as well as our brain health on a daily basis. But this is a real threat, Alex, to every single person. That's why it's one of the hottest trends this year. So what's the fix? 
Well, the fix is what you do on a daily basis, your lifestyle choices, hacking your health like we try to encourage people to do today. You know, it's more important than ever to look at your diet. I think that is the key. Um, there's still a lot of debate going on about what's the ideal type of diet for our for our brains. Uh, there's a big push against grains. There's a big push once again against uh, carbohydrates in general. Why? Because we spoke about it before. They're inflammatory and we now know that even Alzheimer's disease is actually called type 3 diabetics. Oh my God, of course, because it's all related to your blood sugar. That's another type of diabetic and what you're eating is not just affecting your insulin, it's going to affect your brain. It certainly is. And, and, you know, obviously having a poor diet is probably the most important thing. Um, but then you have to have a look at um, sleep as well. You know, that's the only time that your body gets to flush all the toxins out of the brain overnight. You get you squirt cerebral fluid out of the spine into your brain when you're sleeping at night and that clears out a lot of the, the toxins and the waste and the amylate which builds up on the brain surface and that's what is causing a lot of these um, mental health and, and brain health issues. So if you're not, you know, doing one, another part of the equation is actually being affected, you know, very much badly. So we have to be very aware of all our habits holistically but namely food, diet and stress. Um, and they're all lifestyle. And the great thing is we can control these and find smart hacks in how to tap into them as well. So Adam, on top of just being conscious of your diet and us being hackers, myself, and as you're listening to this, figuring out what works for you, whether it's more meat or more vegetables or however it makes you feel sharp in the brain or keto might be a good thing for you for a little while. On top of that, this is the age of the fact that, you know what, science is pretty good we can get supplements, you know, I take a little vitamin C powder, you know, protein powders, things like that that help us grow. What can we do to take something for our brain health as opposed to just growing muscles? Yeah, it's really interesting. It's an explosion in this, you know, cognitive supplement space. You know, I'm in the supplement space myself. I make health foods, as everyone knows. And, you know, I probably could have cashed in on this pretty early on. And I knew the trend was coming when I started to look at all the PubMed research. And But I just couldn't bring myself to, to releasing, you know, some of these products because there's no real hard science behind a lot of them. Um, you know, you have a look at diet, for example, and we know that, you know, most of the benefits from a lot of our foods come from plant pigments like um, lycopene and, and beta carotene and all these, you know, things have great benefits to the brain. You know, foods like blueberries and onions and, and whatnot are really great for the brain. But a lot of these supplements they're putting in there, you know, include things like caffeine to hype up the brain as well. So you get that so placebo effect as such where you think it's the, the neurotropics that are actually having the effect on your mood and your brain, but it's actually the caffeine. Um, so you need to be really careful when you have a look at some of these things that, um, Cause again, caffeine. You know, good pre-workout or just you know giving you that pep but again with anything if you're having coffee plus this plus other things it's going to be too much on your adrenals oh of course and that's the flip side isn't it you know you're thinking getting this you know brain health benefit but it's actually stressing your adrenals because you're taking all this caffeine like some of these pre-workout drinks and some of these neurotropic drugs have you know a thousand milligrams of caffeine which is insane. It's like 12 cups of coffee, which is just, who the hell would drink that much coffee in a day? They do contain like high doses of B6, which, you know, we know is great for brain health. Magnesium, which we know is the most deficient uh, mineral in our bodies, over 300 bodily functions it's responsible for, and 90% of the population are deficient in it. So if you haven't gone out and bought magnesium yet, please do so. Um, you know, there's some other things, some adaptogen herbs like Rondarella Rossa and um, Valerian root, which have got some great, you know, benefits um, for stress and whatnot. So, you know, but we once again should just focus on diet. I think that's where the key is before we jump into supplements. Supplements are great. Like supplements, we need them in our diet because the problem is our, our soils have been so depleted and our lifestyles are so erratic now and so busy that we can't get all the goodness in. You know, it's, it's fair to say you should get all your goodness from foods, as we all know, Alex. It's BS. It's never going to happen. So you need to make up for the change in times with our, our nutritional quality with 
supplementing it with supplements as such. So I would focus on a few little hacks like favoring a, a, a group of foods that are higher in fats, like we know avocados and nuts and coconut oils and olive oils and all these omega-type uh, free fats are really great for brain health. And uh, you know, that, that's what I'd be focused on, making sure you're getting enough good fats in your diet and uh, eating these things like walnuts, which you know really help with brain health. And can I just say on that as well about where you get your food from. Mark Burris spoke about this in the Hacking the Hackers episode where we speak to people who we think are hacking their lives really well. And have a listen to that episode with Mark Burris. It's one of the greatest ones we've done on the Hacking the Hackers series. If you just have a small apartment, you don't need a big yard, you don't need a big house, you know, house prices are expensive, no one, everyone's got a whole lot of land. If you have a little tiny planter box just on your window, you can grow a lettuce on that. You can clip that lettuce every day and then you know exactly where it came from and have some herbs as well and that's also going to make your life much easier and cost effective and give you some good nutrition as well. I'm telling you, you can grow a lot of good food yourself and then just buy some stuff on top to really kind of boost it up. There's so many great hacks that you can do to help your brain health just by controlling your own environment. On the next episode of Health Hacker with Adam McDougall, we're going to go through some more trends of 2019. You've heard of circadian rhythm, but you might not have heard of circadian living. That's on the next episode of the Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Mate, I can't wait for it, Adam. I'm always excited, Alex. Thanks. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall is recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Produced by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Nick Slater. Executive producer is Jamie Show. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.